Hi, my name is Stella Cross. My daddy works with people who like to swear. So if you don't want to listen to that, just don't listen. This has been your Upset and New Warning. Hey, this is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, and I am joined this week by Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello, hello. And Senior Scribe Liel Leibowitz. Cimento, mazalto. And we are back at Argo Studios after what seems like many seasons of our lives. 40 years. We were out in Union Square with Chabad. We of were airing in the wilderness. The JCC of Manhattan talking Japs. and we're It was literally 40 days and 40 nights. I think it was. <laughs> it actually was. Uh, we are so glad to be back. We're going to be talking today about the uh, Yiddish version of Fiddler on the Roof, which Steph and I have both... Did you see it, Leo? I did not. You didn't, but you will. Uh, I may. Because it's been it's ex- theater. extended through August 26th. Uh, there's a, a very exciting new version of Fiddler on the Roof entirely in Yiddish, which is being performed at the National Yiddish Theater in downtown Manhattan. Stephanie and I both went to see it. This week in studio, we're going to talk to Elisa Solomon, a historian of the show Fiddler on the Roof, as well as actors Rachel Zatkoff and James Monroe Stefko, a Jew and Gentile, both of whom had to learn a lot of Yiddish to be in this new Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. So we're going to talk about Yiddish. We're going to talk about Gentiles having to say Yiddish. We're going to talk about Jews. Talk about fiddlers. We're talking about fiddlers. Roofs. But but most important, we're gonna talk about ourselves because it's been so long since we have caught up with one another. It feels weird. I feel like I don't know you guys anymore. <laughs> like what do you guys have what have you been doing this summer? Uh I don't know, Stephanie. What what have you been doing this summer? I'm gonna throw that question. I'm gonna answer a question with a question. As I the actually, Jews do. I don't have a question, I have a comment. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just came back from Mexico. I was there for my dear friend Kat's bachelorette party. Cat the person, not cat the cat. It's a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will note you are the palest person ever to return from a weekend in Mexico. Yeah. It's so funny because I'm so much more tan than I want to be, and you don't even think I'm tan. Not so no. tan. Not, I also bring, I bring a lot of sunscreen. When's the wedding? September 8th. September 8th. Um, the same weekend this year that my wedding was last year, so it'll be really fun. Now, if it's a choice between coming to my new son's bris and this wedding? Uh, well, I'm in this wedding. I don't, as far as I know, I'm not in your son's bris. What if he made you an offer? We could sweeten that deal. You, <laughs> you want to be the totally. son? You want to be the, the son? Date? The due date is September second. <laughs> Josh goes, does she get a cut? <laughs> um, well, I guess we know where your priorities lie. But it was fun. Yeah, it was so fun, it was and fun. it's just like nice to get away. Did you make one of those weird hats with streamers? I don't know. There's... No, we did that at the shower. You smashed the pinata at Cat Spot Mitzvah. The is pinata that the... and the patriarchy. Is that what the shirt says? It's a big, it's a big father <laughs> figure, and you smashed the patriarchy. Um. So, Mark, you know yeah. how, how in a bris it's customary for the moil to ask the father? Because traditionally, the father is the one who's supposed to bring the son into did the covenant. The, did the swipe. And, right, yeah. would you like to delegate your authority to me? Yes. Now, knowing you, yeah. there's going to be at least like a second there in which you would be like, should I delegate? Right? I mean, <laughs> should I not? Should I not go on YouTube, study this art, and do it myself? I think you're thinking of you. Right, no, because I, you had that. Because you're all like, I have three sous vide cookers. You think, in theory, even though you're basically a book Jew, not a mountain Jew or a mechanic Jew or whatever. Like you're basically comfortable with, with your books, right? Like me. But I think you think, but I could learn to do anything. What with the YouTube and all, I am not that way. So you like, think I think you know I could spatchcock a chicken. <laughs> exactly. I could also circumcise my son. Exactly, and I do not think that. Like I, I have do. the Wusthof knives in the kitchen. <laughs> I, you know, I basically there are like three things in this world I can do. I can four maybe talk, write, 
play tennis, play chess. I can do the same things now I really could obviously do by about the age of eight. And that's about, I've learned no new skills, nothing new in my, in my that amazing? quiver. I basically <laughs> like, it was, the, the die was cast when I was very young. I've added nothing new. And, you know, and, and I'm also a believer that, that in experts, like, let me do the writing and, you know, Sid and, and we'll let the moil do the, 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 the moiling. And Sid, by the way, is this, she's like, you know who I'm going to trust for, with my delivery? An obstetrician. Be like, I don't, she doesn't write her own birth plan. There are people who have seen thousands of births. She delegates to them. So, no, the moil can do. I'll let the moil be moil. Moil's going to moil. That's very sound advice. A, a moil's going to moil. Um, so what, this is so, you know how with a bris, you're not actually supposed to invite anyone, tradition dictates? You announce it. You announce it and right. anyone can come. So are you going to announce the bris on this here podcast so, so that, that anyone, anyone can anyone come? Anyone may join. <laughs> um, I'm thinking, uh, uh, no. I think that I'll announce it at the tablet meeting and maybe you guys will... Uh... Announce it on the air for all of our fans <laughs> to join you. I just think the potential for weirdness... Now, Rebecca's bought mitzvah, on the other hand. I mean, you know... Yeah, that's a free-for-all. The freaking whole world's invited, but... The enough... more, the merrier. And so, the okay. oil, the merrier. Jesus. Uh, it seems we're on to me. I'll just say I've, <laughs> I've too, have been vacationing. Uh, I was in upstate New York with uh, Rebecca and Ellie, and we, we went away. I wouldn't say we camped. We, wouldn't, we didn't even glamp, but it was rustic. And there were some other guests there, one of whom was my friend Adam, who is a listener to this show and, and a generous donor, I should add, whom I went to college with, who I didn't realize had married our college classmate Jane. And he was there with Jane, and she was sporting the unorthodox tote. So there I am up by the Canadian border. And there's someone thinking you have gotten away from it. Thinking all. I've gotten away, and she's sporting her unorthodox tote, which was awesome. So the whole thing was awesome. I show up, literally like disembark unorthodox tote bag. Rebecca and Ellie and, and I end up having a wonderful time. We swim. Uh, Ellie and Rebecca are getting very good at poker. There were a lot of like poker games with the other <laughs> guests. There were poker chips up there. And which that is was, how you sponsored the vacation. <laughs> oh my god, that was so much fun. But I had a, a thought, which was. I realized when I saw Jane with the tote bag, and she's so old school. I went to college with, with her and her husband, and I hadn't seen them for years. I realized that since I got off social media, I don't have those random encounters. Like social media was very good for those I haven't seen them in years, and now I know what they're up to. And it made me think, if there are other old friends of mine in our several tens of thousands of listeners in the J Crew, if there's some friends of mine who've just been laying low, who've been you know, kind of hiding out there. Shoot us a word. Who Say I, hello. Who I haven't seen. You know, if you knew me when you when we were in elementary school or high school or college, and I don't know you're or, listening. Or, or nudist camp. Yeah, nudist oh, camp. Yeah. Right. And then you really knew each other. Right. Or, or if we rocked the junior high chess circuit of Western Mass together, and I don't know you're out there, baby, Moppenheimer at tabletmag.com. That's, so that's what I, that's my prayer for uh, for this August. Liel. Send, send a telex <laughs> or a telegraph. <laughs> Enough about me. Liel, what's, what you been up to? Uh, I've been having fun. The the Libovai finally um, lived up to the age-old threat and, and got a dog. Oh, we've met that dog. That dog it's is a cute dog. very adorable. What's I, the dog's name? I wanted to call her Fauda, which I thought would be a very, you know, Fauda, fitting. no. Fauda, sit. Fauda, <laughs> No attacking. What does Fada actually mean? Chaos in Arabic. And that's what the which show is called. Is totally, yeah, which is okay. totally befitting. That's name a good, it's actually a good cat name. For this dog. It is. Um, but she's Lila uh, because it's Hebrew for night and she is a beautiful black little wolf. And um, everyone's, the family's happy. The oh, kids love the dog. So happy. It's just, it's a very relaxing summer 
Um, I convinced my my daughter that for her benefit, and of course, is a huge sacrifice because I totally don't want to see Taylor Swift because I totally don't know no, any Taylor all. Swift song by heart and listen to every album. So as a major parental sacrifice, fine, I'll take you to the Taylor Swift concert and then proceed to scream out all the words myself. Best dad ever. Uh, it really. It, this she was like, dad, you're <laughs> embarrassing me. Such a major gift. She's like, it's not that good. I was like, it's amazing. I wish I went. Taylor, I love you. <laughs> I've never actually been to a Taylor Swift concert. I think I'm like, I'm scared oh my to God. go. It was scared. fantastic. There's no way to get free tickets, though, is the thing. Like, if the artist, I mean, like, I got free Steely Dan tickets because, because you know, uh, Donald Fagan's. Because Fagan, older fans Because Donald Fagan's Jewish. Seven years and ago. And I, I, I wrote a tablet piece, as you know about that. But Taylor Swift, it's like, you know, is is one of the four backup singers. Jew- I need a Jewish angle to get the free tickets because I'll say I'm writing about it for tablet. No, you could always go with the uh, she was a one-time icon for neo-Nazis or, or, in America. Or <laughs> that really on a Christmas tree farm. Mm-hmm. Which we learned about in an old edition of News of the Jews, which brings us to this week's News of the Jews. So much to catch up on. Stephanie, what do you got for us? My favorite News of the Jews this week is just a simcha we have to celebrate. Carly Kloss, the model and coding evangelist, girls coding evangelist, um, is engaged to Josh Kushner. The good Kushner. The good Kushner. <laughs> the good Kushner. And People Magazine reported it. They've been dating for six years, I think. They've sort of been, they, they sort of lay low for a pretty high profile, like New York couple at least. And as with Ivanka, when Ivanka and Jared got engaged, a precondition was that she would convert. And that caused a little, I think that they broke up at a certain point because Ivanka was like, I don't know. And then I think. It was on a boat with Rupert Murdoch and Wendy Dang Murdoch, then Murdoch, and she was like, "Just do it." So Wait, basically, that who was, said who said just do it? Wendy. I think Wendy was like, "Just do it." So anyway, so easy for her to say she didn't have to convert to anything. So Carly did convert before the engagement, and um, okay, according to People Magazine, a source says that Kloss converted to Judaism in early June before the engagement. "Quote: She's never been one to make decisions lightly." The source says she spends a lot of time reflecting and learning. So our next Jew of the week hopefully will be Carly. Kloss. Carly Kloss, absolutely. You're, Carly Kloss converts with a K. You're, in, you're invited on this. <laughs> so Mazel Tov to them. I mean, it must be hard to like be marrying into that family at this point. So you must really love him. I mean, is it or is it like the easiest thing? Because like you sit at the Seder table. It's like, so Josh, what have you been up to? It's like, uh, I have done absolutely nothing, Mom. Right. That is so great. In love. no way have I made the world worse in the past couple of years. We're so proud of you. But she put Keep up an on. Instagram post saying like, oh, can't wait to get married. Like, I love you, Josh, blah, blah, blah. And Ivanka Trump like commented like, Love you, sister. Can't wait. And everyone's like, oh. So anyway, it's probably a dicey situation for them. But So look, this is the point in News of the Jews where we put out the call to all of our listeners. If any of you knows what rabbi is doing the conversion, if any of you knows when she's going to the mikvah, like we have to crowdsource this. We we will be there. As we are always on Gal Gadot Watch, we are now always on Carly Kloss Watch. And by the way, Stephanie, don't think it went unnoticed. The Carly Kloss converts with a K. That headline surely has to appear in tablet. At some point, soon. I mean, the potential there for if you if by Stephanie Butnick by Stephanie Butnick converts with a K. Um, I hate to I hate to bring us down into serious stuff, but um, this is serious. <laughs> you're right. I'll keep it. We are with, expanding the Jewish community continuity. Keeping with the exceedingly serious tone of that, I will just add that the Orthodox Union, one of the if not the major kosher certifying agencies has said that it will no longer certify beef slaughtered using 
the controversial shackle and hoist method. Um, Israel has already decided to ban the import of any meat slaughtered using this method. This is in which the animal has a chain put around one leg and then it's yanked into the air upside down. Um, and then uh, it's being slaughtered with its head to the ground and its feet in the air. And it, I mean, it sounds horrible. I will say as, you know, as a vegetarian, it's not so much more horrible than the other things we do to kill our meat. Um, but in any event, it's it's commonly used in South America. Many American and, and Canadian slaughterers have given it up. But this move, since the OU will no longer uh, certify that meat, the South American kosher slaughters will have to stop using it. There will be less animal suffering. I'm all for this. Um, this is a good moment for me to suggest that if people care about this, like spend the extra 10 or 15% and just get humanely slaughtered meat kosher or not all the time, which, you know, a lot of our listeners can't afford. Inshallah. Inshallah. Liel, um, we've gone from Jewish continuity with a K to <laughs> kosher slaughtering. Also with a K. With a K. What do you, you have know what else it? is with a K? What's that? The Kotel. Yes. There's a lot of Kotel news this week. Yeah. Like a lot of news in religion. Yeah. Um, so first of all, there was a bit of a brouhaha, if, if you will, when uh, an in- internationally famous Instagram nude model um, took nude photos of herself at the... Kotel. Kotel. At the Kotel, the Western Wall. So she was in Jerusalem, got through all like the guards to get to the Western Wall. Sat on some rooftop nearby and took a perfectly angled shot in which she is completely naked with the Kotel in the background. Which, if I may, is not a bad way to finally get most Israelis to care about women <laughs> in the Kotel. Because like the women of the wall that the reform and conservative American Jews tried to do uh, really didn't really interest a lot of Israelis. And I think finally they're like, oh, this is what you mean women in the wall. And we support this 100%. Oh it's very God. good. Uh, then. So wait, uh, what happened? Uh, absolutely nothing. She got, you know, 15,000 likes on Instagram or Should whatever you get, you get on Instagram. Leah, no. here's my question. Given that she's she... Belgian, does this make you more or less favorable toward Belgium? Just, just a little bit more. But that is not all the news of the Kotel this week. Uh, last week, a 220-pound boulder was dislodged from said holy wall, falling into the ground nearby, um, almost almost taking out a 79-year-old woman who was praying nearby. Now, <laughs> the deputy mayor of Jerusalem, Dov Kalmanovich, gave the following answer, which I would like to read in the appropriate accent. Uh, uh, we must not explain and interpret natural phenomena as signs from heaven, but, but. <laughs> the falling of one of the Western Wall stones so close to Tisha B'Av and exactly at the location of the controversial prayer area should be a red light to all of us. And I suggest that reform leaders, women of the wall and other quarrel mongers examine themselves and not the wall. So first of all, let me say that it's a really great idea when a 220 pound boulder falls from the wall. Examine the wall. Whatever that wall is, <laughs> that wall needs to No matter examining. how holy. That's exactly right, because that wall is coming apart. It's like an old Dove Kalmanovich. I mean, really, man? <sighs> really? Well, it's in the great American tradition of, you know, the hurricane was caused by homosexuals. Correct, correct.
Our first guest is Elisa Solomon. She is the author of Wonder of Wonders, A Cultural History of Fiddler on the Roof, and she's a professor at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. Welcome, Elisa. Thanks. So, Elisa, you wrote a whole book about the musical Fiddler on the Roof, how it came to Broadway, and how it ended up sort of this cultural touchstone, not just for Jews, but for, for all, all people. And I'm curious, how did it happen? <laughs> that is such a huge question. I know, it's a long book. Yeah, it is a long book. So... Just open it and start reading. I mean, we'll, yeah, okay. we're fine. <laughs> so uh, it's a whole bunch of things. First, it's a really great show. It has terrific songs by Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick. It had killer choreography by Jerome Robbins. It had a nice book by um, it had a nice book by Joseph Stein, which is based on the masterful, incredible, amazing short stories by Shulam Aleichem. So it starts there. It's a really, really good show, and it had incredible timing. It came out in 1964 at a time when it provided the first popular culture uh, depiction of pre-war Eastern European Jewish life. And, And it was taken by Jews largely, not all of them, but largely, as a kind of affirmation that was enormous and couldn't be denied, that yes, your story belongs on the Great White Way along with every other story that's ever been here. Mm-hmm. So will you tell us the story of Fiddler? I mean, what happens in the musical? We take it for granted that we know it so well, but I know a lot of people probably high schools who didn't do that as their production. What? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows the story. Uh, so Fiddler on the Roof is a mid-century American musical, a musical that formally, I think, stands on the pivot point between the great book musicals and the so-called concept musicals that tells the story of Tevya the Dairyman and his five daughters, concentrating primarily on three of them and uh, their marriages. Um, It's 1905 in the Pale of Settlement, and each daughter more drastically challenges the practice of the family arranging a proper marriage for the the daughters. So the first daughter, Seidel, chooses her own husband, uh, Muddle the Tailor, who's a young man that she's known since she was a child. The second daughter falls in love with a young revolutionary, Perchik, who has come to offer uh, tutoring to the family. And he gets sent off to Siberia for his revolutionary activities. And she follows him there. And the third daughter, Chava, uh, runs off with a Ukrainian man, Fiedka. And this is the one case that Tevya cannot accept. Because he's not Jewish. Because, yeah, he's and Ukrainian. I was I was intrigued watching this show again, and it's the first time I've seen it since I became a father. That um, it's kind of the show is kind of pro daughter. I mean, if I'm not misreading it, I my reading of it this time was the sympathies lie with the daughters who want to disobey their father, including make an intermarriage. And I'm wondering in 1964, like you're you know you're a dad, you get your family together, including your 17 year old daughter and your 15 year old son, you all go off to the theater, and then you see this musical that basically says follow your heart, marry whoever you want to marry, even if it's a shagitz. It's like I don't know. I was I was shocked actually at how modern it felt like it could have been made in 1994. That that must have ruffled some feathers back then. Well, the show ruffled a lot of feathers in the Jewish community for various reasons. So that's sort of one of them, but mitigated in a few ways. So first of all, let's not forget that it's based on Sholem Aleichem's story. So he was already dealing with this right. in you know the early 1900s. Um, the Hava story, it, it doesn't end quite the same way. Uh, in fact, it's, it's, it's sadder um, 
Oh, really? The original story is sadder? Yeah. And all the original stories, I mean, we, we, we see three of the stories dramatized in Fiddler on the Roof. There are two more that are really too bleak for Broadway. In one, um, the daughter falls in love with a guy whose family is in the area for the summer, and they want to get married, but the parents, the boy's parents think she's below his station, and they drag him away, and she is so bereft that she drowns herself. And in the other story, the daughter marries a sort of nouveau riche boor whom Tevya thinks is going to give her a nice life, and he encourages her to marry him, but he just turns out to be awful, and she's miserable, and he even turns on Tevya and wants to send him to the Holy Land. <laughs> he wants to send him to Eretz Yisroel, where he says, uh, you know, all old Jews go to die. Like, he doesn't want to be embarrassed by being known to have a father-in-law who's a mere poor dairyman. As you say, it was this eruption of Jewish culture into, you know, into the sort of parv space of of theater where, you know, too much ethnicity was not necessarily the, the rule. At the same time, one of the things that they're pointing to with this new Yiddish production downtown, Yiddish language production, is that they're bringing it, they're bringing into it uh, actual religion, actual Torah in a way that was largely left out of the original production. Is that... Is that fair? I mean, a lot of people look at the original production and they say it's sort of as if they're these generic immigrants and there aren't a lot of like Jewish specific words, for example, that actual shtetl dwellers were a lot more obviously Jewy. They weren't just sort of, you you know, generalized like cutesy immigrants. Yeah, I think a lot of that's unfair, honestly. I think that there's no mistaking when you watch Fiddler on the Roof that it's a story about Jews. It's a story about Jews that is... Also, that, that's running on parallel tracks insofar as if you're Jewish, there are so many things that you recognize and are hailed by when you're watching it. There's a chuppah, there's, you know, circ- you know, there's the circling, there's the havdalah, there's the kiddush, there's Shabbos. There's a million things that you recognize as a Jew when you're watching it and you can say, oh my God, this is about me. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously... Different Jews from different parts of the world have different customs and so on. But insofar as a vast majority of Broadway theater goers in the 60s were Ashkenazi Jews, there was a lot of recognition there. Mm -hmm. There There's just no mistaking it. But at the same time, on the other track, you have intergenerational conflict. You have the idea of traditional uh, values and practices and customs being frayed by the challenge of younger people. You have prejudice from the outside, you know, all kinds of things that can be recognized and identified with by people from all kinds Mm -hmm. of communities. So I, I don't think it's right to say that 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 it was cutesy Jews who weren't really Jewish. I think that that's a that's a trope that's developed around the show, but I think it's too easy. So something that I loved about that was in your book was that basically they took the show abroad after. And so in 1971, you say there was like 15 productions in Finland, and um, Joe Stein said that in Tokyo rehearsals, they said how how could you have done? I'm so surprised this show is a success in America because it's so Japanese. And then I forget um, someone says, you know these these Jewish people are Irish. Of course, it's like it resonates. It resonated with anyone, and there's this amazing universality to it. So was that a total surprise? that other communities saw themselves in this story? 
Yes and no. I mean, I think the success of the show in general was a surprise to, first of all, the creators of the show. They, you know, told stories about going to backers auditions and people saying, well, this is all very sweet, but what are we going to do for ticket sales when we run out of Hadassah groups? And, um, you know, more fools they. I mean, that right. show made so much money for its investors. Um, so... Yes, they were. They and the world were surprised when it was such a big hit. But they started to get that sense, even when it was on the road in tryouts, when you know people would come up to Sheldon Harnick, and and say, "This is just like my Irish grandparents." And that's that's part of that that second track, that universal track that they did, in fact, work hard to make sure would would be in the show. And so y- you're you're right about uh, what you said earlier about the you know the lack of a lot of Hebrew or Yiddish words in the show and when there are any they're amply explained, you know, to life to life lachaim 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 to life or you know we wear this little prayer shawl. Right. Um and and so on. So so even as as Jewish audiences recognize and identify with things that they know are theirs Nobody's going to be confused or pushed away by not understanding something. And of course, the funny thing is now, if you send a bunch of fairly secular, uneducated Jews to watch it, it's like this huge shower of Jewish knowledge, right? If, if every <laughs> Jew in America knew the Judaism in Fiddler on the Roof, it'd be like, like we'd be that's able- why they wear those things. Right. So that's what you do Friday night. Um, so uh, because we have to get these these actors from the Yiddish production into talk, a, a great uh I don't want to let you out of here without asking, um, what did you like so much about the Yiddish production? What did you think it, you, you told us you liked it. What do you think it did well? What what what's, what were you excited about? Pretty much everything. The- I mean, um, the cast is terrific. And Stephen Skybell is a first-rate Tevya, really moving, um, very, very um, charming without, you know, pandering at all, very warm. Um, it's a very small stage. And yes. They managed to do quite a lot in that small space, the choreography. It's basically Jerome Robbins's uh, choreography, brilliant choreography that lives on in Jewish weddings uh, and other events today. Um, the set is very simple but very powerful. I, I, there's probably be a spoiler to describe what the main element is and what happens to it, so I won't describe it, but it's very simple and there's an audible gasp in the audience at this certain moment when something is done to this main piece of scenery. It's very powerful. And it's just a very imaginative use of the space. And, you know, it's a great show. I mean, I've seen bad school productions. Oh, you've seen bad fiddlers. I I've bet. seen very many um, bad fiddlers. And we even when it's bad, it's still good. There like is- you can't you can't destroy it. And so when it's good, it's just amazing. Aliza Solomon, author of Wonder of Wonders, A Cultural History of Fiddler on the Roof, professor at Columbia, and karate master, I understand. <laughs> master would be an exaggeration. Karate practitioner. Pra- yes. Practitioner. Thank you for coming on Unorthodox. <laughs> karate rabbi. L'chaim. L'chaim. To our prosperity, to our good health and happiness, and most important, to life, to life, L'chaim. L'chaim, L'chaim, to life. Is to the father I try to be Yes, to my bride to be Drink L'chaim to life, to life L'chaim L'chaim, L'chaim to life Life has a way of confusing us Blessing and bruising us Drink L'chaim to life
We are here with two actors from Fiddler auf den Dach, which is the National Yiddish Theater Folksbina's production of Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. It's playing downtown at the Museum of Jewish Heritage in Manhattan. It is great. It is Mark great. Mark and I have seen it. Yes. And so we're here with Rachel Zatkoff and James Monroe Stevko. And I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves and tell us who you play in the show. In Yiddish, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Or you can sing it. Yeah, right. They're off duty, guys. They can speak English. <laughs> Well, I'm Rachel Zadkoff, and I play Zaitel, who is the um, oldest of five daughters of Tevya. Yeah. Or as we call it in the Oppenheimer family, the Rebecca. Mm-hmm. I have four daughters. Oh, Rebecca's there you the go. Eldest, so there, there you go. go. Yeah. I'm that. <laughs> and I'm James Monroe Stevko. I play Mendel, the rabbi's son, and I also double as a Russian in L'chaim. So you do that dance with your legs? Yes. What is that called? Uh, do you mean the the squatting like you, and kicking? Yeah, I don't do that particular step in the show. I discovered I could do it in rehearsal because um, <laughs> I've seen it on your it's Instagram. The, yeah, he's the pretty amazing. Is there a name for it though? <laughs> That's a great question. I've been wondering myself. And you don't only the Jews do the bottle on the head, right? So you're not one right. of those. I do do that too. It's called it's a smaller the, cast. The so. <laughs> Fucking hey, you do the bottle on the head. Is yeah. that as hard as it looks, or is there some Velcro action going on? That you know, like, no, it's just a bottle on a hat. And do you train for that? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, we had to, <laughs> we had to practice stand? with the bottle. No, letter. they just know how to do it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's inconceivable. <laughs> Apropos skills we talked about earlier, that is one skill I cannot begin to imagine. <laughs> we, human we describe it acquiring. for our listeners who haven't seen the show. Well, the, the dance, not the not the whole production. <laughs> <laughs> All three hours. Yeah, um, right. So in the wedding. We we do the the clapping with them in this the chair. Is your wedding, my cycle. wedding, my wedding. Yes. Yeah, Rachel's wedding, and <laughs> uh, Morcha brings out two bottles, and the first two bottle dancers they they set these champagne bottles on their heads, and then they start this dance, and then the next two join in, and we end with this big section, cymbals crashing behind us, the crowd going ooh ah, and uh, we we slide on the floor while kicking our legs and. It is the most Keep exciting thing ever. I just have to say. I mean, I'm not. I'm not yeah. obviously not doing it physically, but <laughs> I get to sit and watch, like with the best seat, and you know, on stage. And every day, it is so exciting. I could. It's it is, tense every time. Is it going to be danger? Like, oh my god! And you know, one of them each day. It it, it varies which one. I'm kind of like, oh, is it going to fall? Is has it, it going to fall? Has it fallen? Has anyone's bottle fallen? Last yet? week, yeah, yes. for the first time. Yeah. yeah. When I saw the Danny Burstein production on Broadway, the night I saw it, one bottle fell, and Rebecca, my daughter, was like, "Is it? Is that supposed to happen?" I was like, "No, that's not supposed to happen." But it happens. How could it yeah. not? You know, yeah. Tell I mean, them what happens when one fall and one happens. Well. When I think a bottle so cool. falls and one of us has to go in and they have to go out. Yeah. So you don't like get a... to continue if you're a bottle. Oh, drops. I guess that's so it's like part that's... of the. You're sent to Russian dance like jail. It's like musical chairs. <laughs> Jewish dance jail. Jewish dance jail. <laughs> oh my God. So, Rachel, you're Jewish, as yes. far as I understand. Yeah. And James, you are not. Correct. What? How did you get involved in this production? And then what was it like to learn Yiddish? For both of you, I worked um, for the Folksbina two years ago. I did a show called The Golden Bride, and so I, um, and that was a really wonderful experience. And that was a Yiddish theater piece, and I, so I, I had some familiarity with the language. And when I heard that they were doing Fiddler on the Roof, I was just like, "That's the coolest thing ever!" I mean, this show in Yiddish, it's just so. I really, I mean, I really wanted to be a part of it, and you know, went through the audition process. Just like everyone else, and <laughs> but it's and how, been really exciting. How you're not a native Yiddish speaker, obviously, no. as none of us is. You no. know how? What's your level of familiarity with the the language, the transliteration, the well, vocabulary? It's, 
it's it's you know we're learning it phonetically, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of experience in learning other languages because my training is in opera. So I you know I had to learn you know Italian diction, French diction, German, Russian, all these things. And actually, when I first was learning Yiddish for the show I did two years ago, it was really difficult because some of the words look like German mm-hmm. or look you know, but they're pronounced differently. So it's really kind of twists your brain a little bit, and it's it's you know the language is such a combination of things and it's it's difficult it's really difficult to retain i out of every language i've ever had to sing in or speak in it is the most difficult i've ever had to retain and get in the mouth and it's there's so much to it you have to know what every word you're saying means because we're also actors right and we're telling a story so you have to know what you're saying you have to know what the other person on stage is saying so you're also learning what there were it's it's so it's so much for the brain. Weil du weißt doch allein, als er größer zu legger ist, er kein Mann nicht gewählt. Kein Paul Nasser, kein Mann nicht gehabt. Und wo er hat nur eine reingetöne Hand ist geworden, Blatte. So if you were dropped right now in Crown Heights, could, could you could you have a little chatteroo with people No, there? see, that's the thing, no. I, I mean, as much as I've picked up of the language and words that are now familiar to me i mean maybe i i could listen to two people have a conversation and maybe pick up three to five words i guess mm. but i couldn't have a conversation i i don't think no james what was yiddish to you before you were cast in the show um well i remember the moment very distinctly i was sitting in bed <laughs> that that morning of the audition the dance call and i was looking at my phone i didn't i don't really know fiddler on the roof at all I knew they're they're. It's about Jews. Oh, millennials! And, oh my! Well, I, I I know the sh- I know about the show. Right, right, right. But I you I can't know, know everything. You can't have yeah. seen everything. Right. I'm not Jewish, and I was like, "Am I right for this?" I know there are Russians in the show, but I don't know what this is about. <laughs> so I dragged myself to the audition, and we were doing the pretty close to the Jerome Robbins choreography. So it was this folk dance, which I really love, you know, Slavic folk stuff, because uh, it's kind of my background. Hmm. But. Um, I was sore for a week and a half afterwards because we just don't do that. You know, squat around and slide across the floor. But yeah, I was I was intrigued by the idea because I just love studying languages in general as a hobby. I'm not fluent in anything, unfortunately. Um, but my German background, once he handed me at the audition the lines that he spoke for us and we'd had to repeat, I said, oh, I, I get it. This is recognizable as German. But the problem was I was pronouncing it... As German. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do that. Um, so that was the biggest struggle once we got into rehearsal. And then also, like, I I just had this urge to switch the words around and put all my verbs at the end. But, yeah, he was on us day and night correcting our, our diction. Inflection. But yeah. I have to ask, when, you, when you're in stage and, and you're speaking, you know, these lines that mm-hmm. by now you've internalized... Do you think in English, is there like a process when you're saying them back, oh, I am now speaking this line about like in, in English while you speak a different language? That's such a good question. I, 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 because we also rehearsed a lot of the scene work with Joel in English, oh. which was really incredible for the process because mm-hmm. we were, we would get up and put it on its feet, the, the scenes in English and then in Yiddish and then in English and then in Yiddish because he really wanted it to feel natural and right. like, you know, and uh, us to be emoting as if we were speaking in our native tongue. And I, and I, I think I'm really thinking in English, but speaking in Yiddish. It's really, mm-hmm. it's, it's so interesting. I mean, I at least I know what the, 
I know, you know, what every word I'm saying is and what it means for me and my character, but it's, yeah, it, that's such an interesting question because I guess both. I don't, there are moments I'm worried that I'm thinking in English and I'm going to start just speaking English, right? <laughs> right. ad-libbing in English. Right. James, so 97% of the people in the audience are Jewish and of them, half or more are older and the, the, they bring so much emotion to seeing this, to seeing the show at, at any production, right? Mm-hmm. And But now they're singing in Yiddish. I mean, the tears are flowing. Um, they must wait in line afterwards and you must get hugs and people pulling your cheeks and like you did. <laughs> Trying I mean, to set you up. What is that like for you? I'm just imagining if I stepped into a, per- uh, you know, a production of, uh, did Chinese opera and had lines of old Chinese people out <laughs> the door telling me I was a great little, you know, actor. Is it odd? Do you feel, like, what do you think of these Jews? Um, I mean, the, the whole experience itself, it's great because to be doing this show in this language, in this city, it's, it's obviously a really big deal. And I'm reading a book on the making of Fiddler, and I'm just, I'm understanding now how big of a deal this is because the show just hasn't given up since it was created, which it speaks to how, like, well it's written, mm-hmm. how much it means to people, Jewish or not. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, re- it's really great that it is speaking to all the Jews and that it's even closer to home because it's in the language their parents spoke or... They, they grew up hearing somewhere. It just makes it that much bigger. Mm-hmm. Or it's like a show they remembered seeing with their parents and now to right. see it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my right. dad was like very emotional. I mean, he's not like a particularly emotional guy. He was just like, yeah. I, this just means so much. And I'm with my daughter. Like it was a really moving, I think for you too, Mark, it was mm-hmm. a very moving experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorite lines in Yiddish or words in Yiddish or things that were hard to Absolutely. pronounce? Or like what's oh my get, God. like what it, go deep into the the Yiddish for us? What what will you take from this fifty years from oh now? Oh my God, I have this one line that I I liter I run on stage, say it, and run off. It's towards the very beginning of the show. It's within the first couple scenes. I I hear Muttel in the house asking, "Is Saitel home?" You know, it's a Golda. And, and Muttel is the person you will ultimately marry. Exactly. And is your mother. Right. And so I I hear him and I run on stage and I say, Yo, Muttel, and it's like, <laughs> it's like so, when have I first learned something that something about, have you heard something about, what does it I mean? I thought I heard you. I thought I, thought I, heard, I heard, heard you there. You know, <laughs> can you do it again? Yo, it's like, <laughs> and that was the first, that one was for some reason the hardest one for me to, to get in because it's also has to be infused with energy because she's right. running on and saying, Oh, I thought, I thought I, I thought I heard you there. And, and you so, don't want it to come out as like, Yo, what? Yeah. So wait, what did so. this one, did you have to audition in Yiddish? Yes, we were all, we were given um, Yiddish sides, Yiddish scenes to end, end the music. I, I want some of the outtakes from people who didn't get cast oh coming in with their, oh my God, totally. with their bad Yiddish. <laughs> I like can't. I wish I could have been a fly on that wall. <laughs> oh my God. Like oh borderline anti Semitic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. James, do you have a favorite, favorite moment of Yiddish in the show? I mean, my favorite word so far is Simche. I just like it. A joyous occasion. Uh, I have a, <laughs> I have a similar feeling about my first line in tradition. It's mechichaich. Yeah, that's a bunch of sounds. Uh. The first thing to to come out of the gate with it, the hardest. Luckily, I think I've got a handle on it now, but uh. during rehearsal. So the funny thing is, like a song like tradition is actually like we know it tradition. Like mm-hmm. it's not. We, it's a different word, right? Tradition. They can sing for Could us. Could you give us like a few bars of? 
Tradits. I was going to ask her to sing a few bars of Matchmaker, Matchmaker. Oh my but, goodness! You know, well, that's. I mean, Traditia. No, you're. Um, Would you? That's, um, a, that's a great idea. What sing what? Match Which one? Me. Matchmaker. Please. I'm okay. Well, I have my whole little bit in the middle where I'm. I'm Yenta, and I'm. I'm getting down and talking to my two sisters, Huddle and Hava, um, and you know, t- basically describing who you know. Who they, who they could potentially end up with. It's kind of me as Saito, but also playing Yenta. And so it's the first one is Hadal oi Hadal Chabashirach Punkt Fardir Ashener on Jung Azechtaker mit vier Oberachos and das is er stimmt. Stimmt. And like that goes on. And then I go over to Hava and I I get her and I say, Hava, ich hab ihm guck on, wie er sich geht. Alanger, ich mein, alanger in der Breit. Ober ach was, und das ist er great? Great. Und gleiben der Geschichte, also das von Bromfendick. Und schlagen, schlagt der nicht der. Das ist dein Glück. I guess I didn't really sing that, but yeah. I don't really sing it in the show. <laughs> so what are you saying? I'm you kind, kind of, of playing. You kind I, of rapped it, is what you did. Yeah, I yeah. kind of did a little <laughs> Hamilton. It's, like, it's, like the Hamilton. Yeah, it's, the, it's the Hamilton version. I'm not um, going to throw away my. It's early, shtetl. you know, it's the morning. <laughs> Although, I'm, you know, it's so funny because Joel also was wanting me to sing it less because, and, you know, um, Jackie Hoffman, who's playing Arienta, has who's this. so great. Uh, she's so phenomenal. And she has this, uh, she has this amazing. Um, speaking voice actually and she and it's so it's it resonates pretty low you know at least to my ear and i and and in the role it's just this like you know down here type of thing and i try you know to do that within this section of matchmaker but and i love towards the end of matchmaker um because what in in the English, when they say playing with fire, a girl can get burned, they sing that and it's spielen mit fire, wird Menage verbrennt. It's like, it almost sounds, to me, it's like exact, you uh-huh. know, spielen mit the fire, playing yeah. with fire. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you want to sing something for us, James? Um, I should not. You should not. Okay. Do you want to do the, the, the chair dance? The, the, put, we have a bottle. You want to put a bottle on your head? We have I, Starbucks cups. I have a, uh, a Stumptown Roasters yeah, cup right. for you. Yeah, um, right. So I'll tell you something. You So you obviously know that, you know, this is, although it's mid-century American, you know, musical theater, it's become like liturgical religious music for a lot of especially secular American Jews. Right. At my grandfather Walter's funeral, so it was someone's idea. You know, he wasn't a religious man. It would not have been appropriate to have any sort of, and the, and a Jewish funeral doesn't have hymns anyway. And someone printed out "Sunrise, Sunset." And what's interesting is I still have it in the pocket of that blazer. And oh, every, wow. but once a year, I take out that blazer and I think, "What's in this pocket?" And then I say, "Right, this is the pocket, the, the blazer I wore to Grandpa's wow. funeral." And you know, there's a way in which that song at this point is kitsch, except mm-hmm. it's not because it like I lives, know. It's so good. It lives again, and it's so good. It's too good. It still to gets everyone. Every time. Um, Mark, I think you're now the person standing outside the theater after the show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Also, we're James and Rachel. Except you're not trying to speak Yiddish to us. We've oh, had that too. People just try, they'll come up to us in the lobby oh, and start awkward, speaking Yiddish right. as if we they think we speak it. It's well, hilarious. Right. And so you're just like, like, do your lines oh, no. back at them? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't what actually a, speak the language. What a compliment, though, right? <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, it's amazing. You totally you're sold like, it. Yeah, Mecca like a high. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're good. It's, Final question. No here. Final question. Were you guys Dirty Dancing fans? 
Yes. So you're being directed by Baby's dad? We I met know. her. Did you we met did. She came by? Yeah. She did. Oh my God. She did. That's so cool. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. That's I think this so needs cool. some some setup yeah. for people like me. <laughs> Just say that Joel Gray. <laughs> Who would miss You didn't know all this? Of that. Yeah. But so Dirty I mean, Dancing starred Jennifer Gray, who's the daughter correct. of Joel Gray, who is? the great Broadway actor, cabaret, Tony winner, who is the director That's of what Fiddler I on the Roof in Yiddish, playing at the National Yiddish Theater. Folks, Bina, down in Battery Park, James Monroe Stefko and Rachel Zach. Kauf from Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. Thank you for being our second Jew and our first Gentile of the week. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, good. Good, good job. Good job. Thank you, you, guys. Stephanie, our listeners will have figured out by now that we're doing kind of a a Fiddler episode. Um, You went on opening night. I went a few nights earlier in previews. Um, What was it like for you seeing this show in Yiddish? Well, it's amazing because it's it's an English Broadway show based on Sholem Aleichem's Yiddish stories that's now been translated, I guess, in... In Israel was translated into went Yiddish, back into Hebrew, oh, back into Hebrew then, then went to into Yiddish. Yiddish, and then now in 2018 is being performed in New York in Yiddish. And it's, it's, I didn't know what to expect honestly because you're like, oh, because f- Fiddler on the Roof has this like nostalgia, kitschy feel that can go both ways, right? Like a, it can go high school production and. Or, you know, I saw it on Broadway in 2015 when Adam Cantor, who I went to high school with, played Muttel. He came on the show, actually, I think. Yeah, he was great. I forgot what year that was, but at this point. But um, so that was really exciting to see it with like a young hit cast on Broadway a few years ago. And then now to see it sort of transposed into Yiddish, it was amazingly moving. The show is great. The actors are great. The set is really spare. But my favorite thing was that they, they kiss the mezuzah when they enter a room, except there's no scenery. So... You, they just walk and you can they they show you where they're entering a room by when they kiss them as they make you believe and it's it's kind of it's it was just so moving and so beautiful and to hear these songs that were imagined in English but based on what what would be like a Yiddish inflection I don't know it just seemed really right in this perfect way I had a really amazing but difficult experience with this show um ultimately I loved it I would go again I would take friends I would take family I would take my dogs but at certain points during the first act, I, I, I nearly passed out at one point with feelings. I, I just, I really was like so overwhelmed and it, it was, but it didn't feel like just good feelings. I was having, I was having something going on the feels. and I was having the feels and I realized somewhere in the intermission, I pinned down exactly what it was, which was that when you're an American Jew or actually an American human, and you ever encounter Yiddish, as many people who pay attention to the world do, you encounter it either um, in, you know, elderly people, elderly Jews, maybe people you know, maybe people you're seeing on TV or in the movies, or you might encounter it in um, Hasidic Jews who still speak it, right? If you go to Williamsburg and talk to Satmar Jews, ultra-Orthodox Jews are still speaking it. What you never, ever see are like teenage girls who look fairly secular, um, you know, and are dressed kind of what looks to this day to be kind of normal, um, just talking in Yiddish. That actually doesn't exist in the world. It might exist at some summer camp or at a summer program at Columbia where people are intentionally learning Yiddish. But I realized during like Matchmaker, Matchmaker, where there's a bunch of daughters ranging in ages from, you know, 14, 15-ish all the way up to 20-ish or whatever, just talking Yiddish, I realized, oh, right, if they hadn't killed all of us, 
that could be today. That would be what your daughters would that be could jumping be, around singing. Yeah, and who knows? Like, probably people would have moved to the cities and they would have traded Yiddish for French and German and English as they were already doing. But there would still be some, like, daughters messing around, not ultra-Orthodox, not survivors of the Holocaust, which hadn't happened, but just being and and having joy in Yiddish. And it was, it was just a very... So it was like an overwhelming emotional experience. It was an uncanny and emotional experience to think that. And it made the show a little unpleasant for a while. And then at the end of it, I kind of walked out in a daze. But I thought it was a really... really I mean, I was like crying because it's just sad. I mean, this ending is so sad. But... There's something, I think Yiddish is such a, a perfect language for like the twist. I mean, look, that's- You took Yiddish, like, right? Yeah, Abyssal. Abyssal. Um, Yiddish is the language that these, these the Yiddish comedy is so specific, right? These Sholem Aleichem stories about Tevye, the dairyman, who has this, who's so, so, so poor and only wants to be rich, but then makes all these mistakes. Like it's, there's a, there's a, tr- it's sort of like a Greek tragedy a little bit. Like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a- tragic comic vibe and Yiddish actually like encapsulates it really well. It sounds right in totally. Yiddish. And then of course you see the the subtitles in English up on the screen. I liked it. I I found it to be, and I was happy because the crowd when I was there, like it was a cool crowd. It was not grandparents. I mean, there were the people you would expect to be there, but there were like a bunch of young people who were very clearly seeing it for the first time. I think this show could move out of that small theater to Broadway, keep all Yiddish and still succeed. When you look at the people who go see opera in languages they don't understand, and we should say they were projecting the Yiddish, as you said, like on screens, uh, on sheets. They're projecting the English and the Russian. Yeah. On sheets, up up superscript to the left and to the right. It could make it even with secular crowds. This is a show about assimilation and about immigration. And it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, it sounds cheesy, but like it's as timely as ever. And it's kind of amazing to see it in its, in in the Mamalotian, in the mother language. the mailbox got lots of mail about our jap episode where we went live to the jcc manhattan to talk about the word jewish american princess dear unorthodox i believe jap is a despicable term degrading misogynistic humiliating and dismissive of jewish women's achievements it has led to bullying and hazing on campuses terrifying for young women who were carefully shaped and taught to fill and accept a community role of scapegoat and has encouraged ridicule for those who objected In short, I believe no self-respecting Jew should ever use this term and should defend the honor of Jewish women to those who do. Yours, Leslie Klein. Well, Leslie, as you know, I'm on Team Leslie. Nobody says it in my house. And to our listener line. Hi, this is Lainey calling from the diaspora of Detroit, Michigan. Um, Just listen to your podcast with the uh, the Jap. First of all, I love the... uh, uh, documentary and thank you so much for putting the live show for us who wanted to come but are not in new york um i loved tova's uh description of how um the jap uh came about it was interesting i hadn't thought of it that way i live in a middle class jewish area with a lot of upper class jews i had a 
dichotomy with the word chat. Um, I worked very hard to get the clothes and stuff that I had, but when so when somebody called me a Jap, I was offended, but also happy that somebody thought that I was of that stature. That's really poignant if you think about it. It's a it. double-edged sword. You can't win. I mean, it's literally it's a thing that women I think encounter all the time. You 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 lose either way. You lose <laughs> Not either to way. Be super depressing, but totally. Thanks for the call. Hi everyone, this is Eric. From now from the Upper West Side, um, I was at the live show on Tuesday night. So I want to bring something up that Jill was speaking about during the show, which is the term WASP. And I wonder how the term WASP actually compares to the term Jap. Is that used by Jews or others alike in order to present someone who might be Jappy or we may call a Jap? Say for other religions, it's something that when I got to college that, that I thought of using. Um, and, and wasn't sure about. Okay, so this listener asked about the word wasp, and we actually got some mail about this. This is a good chance for me to tackle a couple words. Um, first, that question of wasp. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, or the acronym WASP, probably we think was invented by the very waspy sociologist Digby Baltzell uh, sometime back in the 50s, I think. You could consider um, Digby for your newborn Digby son. Digby Digby Oppenheimer um, is a great name. And there's a little controversy over who used it first, but that's a word that actually was in its very early years, used by white Anglo-Saxon Protestants to talk about their old, to talk about their own culture. So it doesn't come out of a tradition of insulting people as waspy. And although it is sometimes used by outgroups, by Jews or African Americans or others to kind of talk about the dominant culture that maybe keeps us down or that sets a sets a standard to which we can't aspire, it really was a term that was owned very early on by the group itself. So I don't. I don't know. I don't see it as offensive to say that something is waspy. I also think that waspy is like aspirational in a lot yeah. of ways. So yeah. maybe you could say that about Jack. I, mean, they made, I don't know. They made a whole movie about them, Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> I will just take this moment to talk about another word that I've used a couple times recently on the show, which is shagets, which is the male equivalent of a shiksa. And it actually means a vermin or worm. So like yeah, you said it today. Yeah, I said it today. So if your son marries a um, a Gentile woman, the derogatory term would be a shiksa. But if your daughter marries a Gentile man, the term is shagis. Or, or your son. Thank you. Or your son. And I just want to take this moment. I've been called out on it, said, oh, but it's such a horrible term. It's so derogatory. Yeah, but there are only like 19 people in America who know that it's derogatory. I just, I want to meet the Gentile boy who's offended by, by being called a shagis. Well, it's funny Before I apologize. There's that blog shiksa in the kitchen. Like people have sort of tried to take shiksa. I mean, we could do a whole Ooh. show on that. Try to take shiksa back as an empowering term because it just means... It's essentially used to describe non-Jewish women when they marry Jewish men. Um, so that's it's sort of a slur a little bit. But shagets is so random. I'm always surprised when I hear you say it because I'm like, oh, my God. It's so funny to me because in Israel it's used widely and as a complete term of endearment. It's like, oh, look at that cute boy. It's such a shagets. there's like describe, one around no, no, you. No, no, no. To describe Jewish kids. Like to describe – like, like, Does it mean he hey, looks he looks look gentile? At, look at Sachi, like what a shake. It's like no, no, it kind of like in a. I oh, remember what a rascal. This will tell you something deep about me that my brain held on to this. When Alicia Silverstone was famous for Clueless, I there remember some Hollywood agent who worked with her or some publicist in a profile of her said, "I mean, look at her with that schutza face." And that is the adjectival form of shake. Even though what is it? Shake. It was, no shiksa. Yeah, well, though I think it's. Schutze sound. It's, I think it's correct. It's, I think it's a proper. I think grammatical it's a, the masculine usage. adjective right. grammatical use. Anyway, I realized at some point that is the adjectival form of of this. They were saying she looks like a gentile. Schutze face. Schutze so face. here's the thing. What does it mean that shiksa is so much more well known than shagets? It. I think it just means that we like crap on women for whatever they do, um, and like 
Totally. If you're a non-Jew that marries a Jewish woman, no one actually really cares about you. Whereas Hasht- we have like, the shik's a crisis. Hashtag right. smash the patriarchy. Hashtag skuts the patriarchy. Skuts the patriarchy. And we're going to conclude with two very, very moving uh, voicemails that we got. Um, here's uh, here's the first one. Hi, my name is Jay Deicher. And so I was writing this piece on Sunday night and my wife is pregnant, but we weren't expecting her to have a baby for uh, a couple more weeks she was due. And it's our first child, so I was completely trusting the due date. Got home after the 11 hours of social working, so tired. And my wife is like, we're doing laundry. I'm like, why are we doing laundry? I don't know. I don't understand that. We're probably going into labor that night, which happens. Um, Two o'clock hits, we're in labor. Six hours later, I have a baby boy. Um, So Mazel Tov, 823. We have the baby boy at home. Uh, so uh, this is the official invite to the Brit Mila on uh, Tuesday, July 17th at Congregation Olahab Shalom in Albany 113 Crumco Road. To uh, Liel, Stephanie, and Mark, you're, you're more than welcome to, to come. And the rest of the J crew is invited also. There will be locks and bagels and seltzer and all the good stuff. Uh, my family would love to have you guys. Um, thanks. Well, first off, I just want to say this voicemail got buried in the uh, in the voicemail inbox. We didn't hear it in time. We didn't make it to the bris. We wish we'd been there. And this is the kind of voicemail that gets us up in the morning and tucks us in at night. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And for another one of those, a slightly uh, a slightly less uh, joyous one, but but no less moving for it. Hey, J. Crew. This is Sam Dubin from West Bloomfield, Michigan. So I was listening to the show, as I do weekly. I was listening to it a couple Thursdays ago when you had Gabby and Rebecca on from Modern Loss. Hopefully I don't get emotional on this. Um, the episode really felt foreign to me because I had never lost someone um, that I cared dearly about. And then that was on Thursday. And then uh, the following day, I got a phone call that my best friend, Emily, who was only 24 years old, passed away in her sleep. So... Excuse me, sorry. Uh, um, so uh, the first place I went to after that happened uh, um, was Modern Loss. And in seeing their really interesting angles uh, on death and loss was really um, was really thought-provoking and, um, and, and gave me a lot of peace and, and just kind of something that, um, that I came to uh, kind of learn about Emily is that when she was alive, um, she did a lot of the talking, and I did a lot of the listening. And, uh, you know, now um, the way I look at this kind of um, really tragic scenario is that uh, I'll always have her with me, and now for the rest of my life uh, she can do uh, the listening uh, whenever I talk with her. So that's kind of an interesting uh, revelation that, um, that I came to terms with, but I just wanted to commend you guys on everything that you're doing. Um, I just finished the episode um, when you were with Chabad, and, and all of what you said rang very true in terms of you're, you really are creating a community for the unorthodox community, and you have me as a fan uh, for life or for however long you will do this, um, but you really are creating a community that uh, is so uh, dire in in uh in the Jewish world right now. So thank you for everything that you do. And uh, I'm going to keep on listening and you should very much do a live show in Detroit. Okay. Thanks guys. Sam Dubin. We are so 
proud and happy and pleased to have been, in our small way, part of your healing process. And may you know no more sorrow. Okay. Um, and I'll just say, okay, so hold on. Fundraising, fundraising, raise me, me some, some funds, funds. buy me some Shh. clothes. <laughs> if you want to send us a letter, write to unorthodox at tabletmag.com or please leave us a voicemail of a minute or so at 914-570-4869. If you have questions for us, uh, put Ask Unorthodox in the subject line of an email and maybe we'll answer them on the show. Our donors have the best names. I just wanted to start with that. Arthur Lederman, Leslie Guild, Lee Rosenthal, Christina Lally. Christina Lally. Anonymous. I know a Lally. Anonymous. We have a lot of donors named Anonymous. Fran Diamond, Rachel Oppenheimer. I think I know her. That's your sister. CJ Alicandro, Hal, Harold, we'll call you Hal Lindenthal, Sarah Link Ferguson, and the astonishingly monikered Rebecca Cinnamon Murphy, who insists that if I lose our donation game, if I end up with the fewest votes for Team Mark, which curdly, if I may, you are. I may, that I have to treat everyone to the movie and I must order popcorn and a soda, but I must call it a pop in honor of her Midwestern yichas. I respect that. I'd like a, a diet pop. A diet pop. would absolutely do that. Speaking of the game, yeah, Stephanie, the game. where are we in the game? To remind our listeners, this is uh, their opportunity to embarrass one of us <laughs> greatly by giving uh, money earmarked for the other two hosts. If Mark loses, he has to pay for movie tickets and for all of us. pop for all of us. If Leo loses, I lose, I have to come uh, to terms with my irrational dislike for the nation of Belgium. And and best of all, and if so Stephanie what you, loses. What you guys decided was everyone's very perturbed that I do not have a mezuzah on my door. Correct. You guys decided if I got the fewest votes, I would put one up. It turns out people actually like really want me to have a mezuzah, yes, and they so do. this has turned around a little bit. So I'm I'm actually in the lead. I have the most people voting for me by about fifteen. Right, and yeah. you know, of course, I'm very popular. Listeners, but please, we need Stephanie to get a mezuzah. Listeners, if happening. you care about you know God. <laughs> There, <laughs> Please. <laughs> there's about, according to our records, there are about 15 people who have voted for you guys, but in the notes have said, I'm voting for Liel because I want Stephanie to have a mezuzah. Terrific. I'm getting emails directly asking me why I don't have a mezuzah. What's like, someone thought that something must have happened to me like in high school. They're they like, it's so trauma. deep. I'm, yeah. why does Stephanie, it when you go high, we go low. And so what I realized, I sh it should have, like yours don't have the same valence that mine does for people. No one actually cares if you go to a Belgian restaurant for dinner or if Mark buys us movie tickets. People <laughs> want to save that's me. That's right. Yeah. They want to save my soul. Right. If you want to save Stephanie's soul, give money, give money. to Mark but, Oppenheimer but or Lee Elliott. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Let me just say one thing. This and you have to say in the subject line at tabletmag.com slash donate, team Mark or team Liel. And then you're voting against Stephanie. She'll end up with the fewest votes. You're really not voting against Stephanie. You're voting for, for Stephanie. Stephanie's you're voting soul. to save Stephanie's. I yes. should have seen this this coming, but I do have to say that Fran Satrin came to our live show, our Jap show last week, and she said, "I make mezuzahs. I'm going to send you one." And what she actually sent me, I got it yesterday, is this beautiful small frame, a square frame with with the mezuzah scroll framed, the cloth, and. A flower that she pressed, that she pressed like her handmade pressed flowers. And it's actually this perfect thing that I'm going to frame inside my door. Then we had the listener who said, I don't care who wins. I'm doubling my contribution if Stephanie puts up a mezuzah, which is awesome. But I do just want to say- You have to put that up, obviously. What? But Fran got me? Yeah. The I mean, cloth. it's this, Well, it's, it's yeah. beautiful and it goes inside my apartment. And I just want to address, you know, the rumors that there's something like deeply, deeply wrong with me that I don't want a mezuzah. I really just, to be honest, never really thought about it. And- I think I really like my, in my New York City, in my tiny New York City walk up, like some 
measure of anonymity. Someone got me a doormat and it says, beware of cat. And I keep that on the inside of my door because I don't want anyone outside my door to be like, that's the girl with the scary cat. I don't want anyone to know nothing about me. Celebrity's rough. But listen, I have a vision. I have a vision for this fun drive. Number one, the vision is that Stephanie gets her mezuzah. Number two, it's that in the coming year, we do more special episodes because you know what? We love them and you and the J Crew love them. Here's what we have scheduled. We have an episode scheduled about Jews and superstition. We have an episode scheduled about Jews and death and dying. We have a circumcision episode. We have an episode about apologies for Yom Kippur. We have an episode about prison coming up. Prison. We have an episode about Jews and gossip, for which I will actually gossip about people. Oh, oh, I mean, as, as I? look, I, I want to do one on Jews and body image. We're going to do one on on Jews of color. We have so much good stuff. And and, and I have a vision that we are going to get past $30,000, which is about where we are now and about where we were last year. And we're going to zoom up to about 50,000. Uh, and by the way, for karma, I realized I needed to give to my favorite podcast. So this money I gave week to Sound Opinions and I gave money to Song Exploder, which are the two podcasts other than Unorthodox that I listen to most. So um, look, whatever you think we're worth, whether it's $1.80 or $1,800, go to tabletmag.com slash donate. Remember to say Team Liel, Team Mark, or Team Stephanie. And I have a vision. I'm going Pentecostal now. I have a vision that someone out there named Joshua is going to give us $180. Amen. I have a vision that Daniel is going to mm. give us 72 And somebody named Deborah, who lives in greater Boston, Praise is, the is Lord. going to give $180. Leah, you're going to give $5, but it is going to be the $5 that's going to put us over the top to $50,000. And I want to say, my sister donated and had her company match her donation. <laughs> and I was like, damn, Whoa. you're good. Boom. Mazel tovs. Uh, Stephanie, you got a mazel tov for anyone this week? I, we, have to just, we did a Fiddler episode. We have to shout out that Josh Groban played Tevya in a Fiddler on the Roof production in high school when he was 18. You can find it on YouTube, and it is worth it. It's part of the thing that like Josh Groban isn't Jewish, but he like basically, basically is. Basically is. So my mazel tovs this week... Josh Groban. No, no, no. That's just, oh. that's just, that's just a, that's shout, a out. shout out. Sorry. So I have a big mazel tub to our friends, Carly and Jordan Bieber. They came to our previous live show and Carly was pretty pregnant at the time. They have a baby. She gave birth to Sasha Ray Bieber, Hebrew name Hanna Rivka. And we are just so happy for them. I've seen a lot of cute pictures on Instagram. What a great name, that, Sasha Ray Bieber. <laughs> yeah, it's <that> good. Name. <laughs> and it's funny because when I saw Jordan Bieber, I was like, I actually know the other Jordan Bieber. He's like from Brandeis. And I'm like, yeah, it's my brother-in-law's friend. <laughs> <laughs> so now I've connected the two Jordan Biebers. Um, I also want to wish a mazel tov to our listener, Harriet Wasserstrom. Her son, Eric, got engaged to my good friend, Jess Nachman, and she's amazing. And, and she's like, Eric's mom listens to the podcast. And I was like, I will give her a mazel tov on your engagement. That's great. We're so excited for them. Liel, top that. I have a mazel tov to my homegirl, Gal Gadot. What's she, only, what's she do now? Not only the greatest actress uh, in the business today, but also, as of this week, a Jeopardy category. Wow. Me and my gal, Gadot, uh, in which you could have answered five very easy questions. Like, this country is where Gal Gadot is from. <laughs> is that really what one is of the questions? questions? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, what is the Mediterranean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is Fiddler on the Roof? Uh, I want to give a mazel tov to uh, Glenn Seven Allen, who, uh, in a really menschy way, hooked us up with the folks being a people who you heard on on the show this week. I want to give a mazel tov to our listener Keith with an A K E A T H. Oh, I like that. Keith. 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 
who uh, who does amazing work for the Jewish people and um, came to our live show and we didn't get enough of a chance to talk. And finally, there's a new project where they, you, you know those projects where they read a page of Talmud a day for seven years? There's a new project where they're reading um, a chapter of, uh, of Torah every day for 929 days. And they've asked me and Stephanie uh, and Liel to each contribute little mini essays. They're having a little essay about the, the Torah chapter of the day every day and they're fun essays like they're they're for genesis chapter five dial mark yeah for exactly. genesis chapter six dial leo so for genesis chapter seven honestly if you want 30 seconds of learning from people like like the three of us 929.org.il for israel uh, big mazel tov to them for what they're doing uh also a quick mazel tov to angela and the rest of the amazing amazing counselors at camp satoga <laughs> Where the summer is always magical and uh, everyone is happy. What are you going to do when the summer ends? We all love uh, the camp. No, I will just wait by the gate <laughs> for it to be June again. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or call us and leave a voicemail, 914-570-4869. You can ask for our special Leibowitz written newsletter by putting newsletter in the subject line of an email. Hit up bit.ly slash unortho shirt and find the latest in unorthodox shirts, mugs, and stickers. Follow us on Instagram at unorthodox podcast, on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Follow us on Instagram at unorthodox podcast, which has been expertly curated by our wonder intern, Elazar. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross and Shira Telushkin. It is edited by the redoubtable Noah Levinson. Our artwork is by the artistic Esther Werdiger. Our theme music is by Golem. Our mailbox theme by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by retired Rabbi Danny Kislin of the House of Jacob Synagogue in Wichita Falls, Texas. And we record at Argo Studios, which is so happy to have us back. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. <laughs>